the truck i'm dooner here with michael vincent the dude what's up man hey beautiful summer day my friend it's not icy outside at all hey nice weekend <laughs> nice weekend for not only grilling but making good on promises oh, as yeah, rick yeah. larkin did at bcb transport let's see what he was cooking up this weekend Check that remember out. we had him on he cooked it forward he showed us that outdoor pizza grilling center that's how yeah, it started yeah, yeah. let's see how it's going what did that yeah. look like when it came out and uh, i think he yeah. made a video for us too let's see it in action let's see it moving what the truck with jalapenos y'all be safe wow well hey beautiful you know nothing goes better with a good pizza than a good movie yeah pizza in a movie my friend pizza in a movie over the weekend right friday the ice grow dropped liam neeson's tribute to trucking exciting stuff we're gonna break it down for you and go to the trail but first we gotta tip the band so this episode is brought to you by legend transportation which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007 learn more at tell them dude oh go to newlegendinc.com immediately after the show all right let's play this ice road trailer oh boy what the hell was that You heard about the cave-in? Yeah. I'm putting together a rescue mission. We have 26 trapped miners who are running out of air. I need 300 feet of pipe delivered up there in under 30 hours. Can you make it happen? Says you had experience on the ice road. Yep. Use the mechanic? One of the best. Sweet Jesus. Give me 50 bucks. One of my drivers just became available. What's it for? Bail. I... What? Told you this wasn't going to be easy. Come in. Mount up! The only way up there is crossing the ice roads. That leak has been falling for five weeks now. If they are able to accomplish this, we will be exposed. So the question is time. We've been sabotaged. Brother is in that mine. This is personal. Now I'm angry. What the hell was that? Sweet Jesus, that ain't good. Spreading out. It's going to keep cracking for two, maybe three thousand meters. We're going to have to run tight together. Go. There's no time. Hey, hey, is anybody out there? We're coming. Just hang on. Wow. Okay. So for now, first of all, this movie is not without pedigree. So you see Liam Neeson there in the oh, yeah. trailer, right? He plays Mike. Yeah. He is uh, the sort of down on his luck truck driver who has a brother. We'll get to that. But the movie is directed by Jonathan Hensley. He had previously written Armageddon, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Jumanji, not the one with The Rock, although he did also write oh, the, the Rock. Jumanji. 
Jumanji, yeah, not oh, the nice. new Jumanji. So he wrote the original one. Uh, he wrote The Rock. He wrote Con Air. Uh, Netflix picked this film up. They didn't make it. Like a lot of Netflix films, they just go and they go to a production company, right? Who oh. and they go and they buy in the distribution rights. They bought this one for eighteen million dollars. And the story begins as you see there. There's a mine up. Uh, where was this mine? Four hundred and thirty-two miles, right? They're northern Manitoba. They're near the top of the earth. Yeah, almost at the North Pole. Movie opens right away, gets right down to business. There's actually no fat on this film. Every, it's like Chekhov's gun. Every single thing you learn in this movie matters at some point or another. So for those yeah. of you with zero yeah. attention span like Michael Vincent and myself, you will appreciate that. It's got a very 1990s vibe to it. And it's very, um, it's very, it is what it is. It's very linear in, in the approach to the movie. There's not like 25 different subplots no. going on. No. There's the trap miners. There's an evil corporation, and there is Gertie and his brother Mike, played by Liam Neeson. Movie starts out, Liam Neeson, he walks in on his brother. They're working for some random trucking yeah, company. Yeah, random trucking in North Dakota. Yeah, throwing his thermos around. Someone drops the R word at, um, at Liam's brother. Yeah. They punches him in the face. They both get fired. Now they don't have jobs. We learn at this point that Liam's brother Gertie was in the war. He has PTSD. So Liam is like, this is the last job we lost. I'm taking to the VA. I'm going to throw you into the hospital. He tries to check him to a hospital right away. Yeah, it takes him right to the yeah. hospital. But what happens, like, 30 minutes later? He busts in and gets him out because he's pissed <laughs> that he's in a hospital. <laughs> he pun- yeah, he pun- the doctors are treating him, and he punched him in the face. There's some, uh, there's some commentary there about the opioid crisis. And then Liam, because yeah. he's a trucker, and to really make you buy that he's a trucker, he, uh, he has to throw a, little, a few puns out there. He goes, you know, uh, there's, a, there's not that much tread left on the tires. <laughs> when he goes to the doctor, yeah. Not Somehow, much. but so he breaks his brother out, and not only were the guys at the shop a jerk to Gertie, they're, Liam needs and himself is also a jerk to Gertie. Gertie's like, well, maybe oh, yeah, we should no, just he's buy. He's crass to him a whole movie. Yeah, he's like, maybe we should just buy a truck. And Liam's like, you idiot, that's two hundred thousand dollars. And he rips up his brochure, and he like, you know, he basically slaps him in the face. And then he gets like an Amber Alert. Somehow, there's a trucking Amber Alert that tells him all these Apparently, miners. Apparently, when you need to need to hire drivers, you just send out a message, and every driver within, you know. <laughs> that's when the that's when the movie kicks in a high gear. Oh, though. Yeah. That's when Liam yeah, yeah, yeah. he jumps with his brother in the truck. They go, we got to get up to Winnipeg, you idiot. Quote Chris Jericho. They go yep. up there. They meet this girl Tonto, who has to be uh, she has to be extricated from jail. Apparently, she'd been arrested again. Yeah, she'd been throwing <laughs> rocks, protesting. Um... The uh, occupation of North America, by the way, man. <laughs> well, I guess so, and it runs right because it goes it, like this. All goes into super speed. Now they're like, okay, we got to set up the plot. There's this guy, Vernie. He is assurance yeah. actuary. He's going to drive with you, um, Liam. You and your brother are going to drive in your own truck, and we're going to do this in triplicate. So they need these wellheads to free the miners. The wellheads and thirty feet of pipe. So they fill uh, three different trucks with the same exact stuff. They set out. They set sail. Things go awry very, very quickly. Um, there are some high stakes. Almost screaming in in one of the main build cast members dies very early on and really sets the the uh, stakes for you oh yeah no it never it's non-stop action from the beginning from yeah. the very beginning the drums are going the you cannot i mean you it just grips you from the beginning i yeah. absolutely loved it morpheus is in it he's got the name golden rod fantastic golden rod jim golden rod it becomes <laughs> yeah. a theme uh there's a scene that's it's almost taken from jurassic park in a sense where they you know the cup of water in that when the t-rexes are coming they yeah. try to replicate that with these bobblehead dolls yeah curious enough tanto who uh as you said she was in jail for protesting she has a general uh custer, general custer, <laughs> general custer one i'm not really yeah. sure the reason behind that i don't but either fantastic movie lord bronze in it from seinfeld there's uh there's one scene there's obviously plenty of ridiculous scenes one where like the insurance actuary is knocked all the way to the bottom of a mountain and somehow he gets all the way back to the top of the mountain yeah. and causes an avalanche that was a great scene yeah he sets off dynamite to to set off an avalanche yeah. it's just perfectly timed because he's an expert well it's now streaming on netflix it's yeah. and today is national logistics 
six days. So we also got to talk to a gentleman about that. But Ice Road is streaming on Netflix. I'm going to give it a, for a B movie that it is, I will give it a very solid, very watchable, make sure you see it, B. Really? Yeah, B plus. Yeah, I'm going to give it an A, man. An A. A Not an A plus, but an A. Okay. I love it. Was uh, dude? It captures you. It rolls. It's stupid. It's laughable. My wife was listening to me watch it. She came in. She said, "How did I miss this 1990s movie?" I said, "It was just made." Yeah. She sat down and watched the whole thing with me. Had to go rewind it and start it over. It was awesome. Would you? So would you do that trip? Would you for fifty thousand? Would I do what? That ice road trip, knowing the dangers that you know now. No. All right. Not a chance. Hey, let's Especially find out. not with Lloyd Braun in my camp. <laughs> let's find out real quick what's going on with National Logistics Day, which apparently it is. Scott Frederick, he's vice president of marketing and LTL Carrier Relations at Logistics Plus, is just going to give us the brief once-over on it. So, Scott, thanks for joining us. Happy National Logistics Day. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, what's happening, man? So what's, uh, what's National Logistics Day and what's good about it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the logistics industry is pretty cool. We're pretty proud. Uh, I work for a company that's been in the logistics industry for 25 years now. Uh, I've been actually been in, involved in logistics for over almost 30 years, uh, which kind of gives a little bit of hint as to, to my age. But uh, it's been a very rewarding industry. Uh, glad to be a part of it. So uh, how this came to be, though, is is uh, three years ago, 2019, uh, working with this with the company I'm at now, Logistics Plus. And uh, we had a banner year. We were really doing a lot of cool things. We uh, hired a lot of new people. A lot of folks were based in Erie, Pennsylvania, which isn't, you know, the most uh, wealthiest uh, place to, to live. But uh, a lot of great universities in this area. So uh, very proud of, of creating some new jobs, and new opportunities. And uh, so we, we did some research and found out there wasn't actually a, a, any kind of holiday to celebrate our industry. You know, we know we know the ATA has the National Driver Truck uh, Truck Driver Appreciation Week. There's other, you know, holidays for other industries, and we felt like logistics deserved its own national holiday. So we went, took it upon ourselves to base, basically create the first National Logistics Day in 2019 uh, on June 28th, and now here we are. We're in our third year, and uh, we've actually. Uh, partnered now with the Transportation Intermediary Association. So Ann Henke and her staff over there, uh, Chris Burroughs, uh, Matt Evans, they've taken the ball and run with it the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, since they are essentially the de facto 3PL association in our industry, they, you know, it really makes sense for them to take the ball and run with it. But yeah. Uh, hey, Scott, let me, Scott, let me tell you, Scott, let me tell you, let me ask you something, Scott, flat. Scott, aside from watching Scott, aside from watching the ice road, where can people go to learn more information about this? Yeah. So uh, if they go to tinet.org, there's a, a link at the top of the page called national logistics day. So the TIA has some really cool facts and figures about the industry, a video that people can watch there. And again, we encourage you to go on social media, use the hashtag, uh, National Logistics Day. Otherwise, you can go to nationallogisticsday.com where you can see the kind of the history of how we brought that holiday to be. And again, it's, it's the holiday for our industry. So we invite everybody to celebrate and uh, really make a big deal about what we bring to this industry. And Especially in light of last year with COVID, I mean, with yeah. the, you know, the, thanks Scott. The, no, Scott, we appreciate it. Thank, thank you, Scott. Scott, we appreciate yeah. you coming on, letting us know about National Logistics Day and our audience. Just a quick segment yeah. to let them know. Uh, we got to go to Nick Torpy now. He's the director of global account management over at DHL Supply Chain. We oh. want to hear about what they've been doing over the past eighteen months to manage risk. Not easy. Not easy, has it been? Thanks for joining us. No problem. No problem. Thanks for having me. Great movie, by the way. Oh, so you watched the Ice Road over the weekend? I did. I did. Yeah. Are, intriguing. 
All right, split the vote. He gave it an A. I gave it a B plus. Where did it fall for you? Uh, maybe A minus. There you go. Oh, wow. Okay, strong <laughs> one, strong one. So some people might be trying to manage their risk about watching a bad B movie, but the ice road is in one of them, so we've already got that settled in your crystal no, ball. It's a great B movie. <laughs> <laughs> tell, us a little bit about, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role in, in managing risk for DHL Supply Chain and what these last 18 months or so have looked like. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I, I work in a global account development role now and uh, also support our, our managed transportation accounts. So I've got quite a bit of exposure in the supply chain and what's happened over the past uh, couple years here. So, I mean, I think you could use all the cliches, unprecedented, never happened before. But at the very least, I'd say the uh, 2021 global disruptions in supply chains brought to the forefront the need to have a rock solid supply chain. For us, that means visibility and transparency at every level. We integrate with our customers' processes and systems uh, from basically uh, end-to-end standpoint. We know uh, where a shipment is the moment it leaves a dock, when it moves through a distribution center, and then when it's on its way to final delivery. Um, I think that type of, uh, of visibility is needed considering what we've, uh, we've started to overcome in the, uh, in the past here. Yeah, no doubt about it. The past 18 months have been absolutely crazy. From your vantage point there, D, uh, DHL, what have you been seeing that has gone point? You know, I think um, one thing we have seen is the need to really, um, you know, not only bring visibility, but also bring predictability of those that visibility. So what we, uh, what we try to do here is um, when we have these incidents that occur across the world is we integrate our, uh, our visibility systems with our risk management platform. Um, Our partner in that space is uh, Everstream Analytics. What we do there is we monitor over 20 incident categories globally from uh, political uh, unrest to uh, to weather, and uh, we'll geofence our customers' supply chains. So um, as these incidents occur throughout the world, um, we can identify if a lane, a node, or a uh, shipment is impacted specifically. We then bring that relevant data uh, to our customers, and uh, we can trigger predetermined contingency plans, or, or we work with them to uh, basically mitigate the impact of some of these incidents. Um, you know, from a more strategic view, we've started working on predictive analysis around on-time delivery and um, predicting weather. You know, well in advance that could be harmful to the supply chain. Again, with our risk management platforms and uh, a lot of exciting things going on in that space, that's really kind of been accelerated through the past eighteen months. So what are some of, like, looking ahead, we already know what happened in the past 18 months, but looking forward to maybe the next 18 months, that's the hard part, is figuring out how to uh, manage and prepare for some of these impending disruptions. I think just the nature of supply chain we're at right now, some of them aren't that hard to foresee when you're talking about congestion and and uh, the perpetual peak season and that kind of thing. But what are you looking at right now? You know, I think, uh, ironically, some of the things that we're worried about at home, supply shortages, um, the cost of some services that are out there and, uh, you know, the cost of material um, that's needed to uh, to start up facilities and things of that nature. Um, there's also a, a talent shortage in supply chain. It's extremely competitive job market right now. Everybody's fighting for the same talent, getting everybody back to work after COVID. And, uh, of course, driver recruiting remains a challenge and driver retention. So those are some of the things I think right now um, we're monitoring the uh, the heat wave. Um, that's hitting the U.S. with our partner Everstream Analytics. It uh, it's starting to uh, hit the Northwest, where we're going to see record temperatures in that region, where uh, really um, air conditioning is apparently uh, uncommon. 
So, um, you know, we're working with them um, for probably the past uh, four weeks on, uh, on helping our customers protect their product and their uh, transportation routes. Yeah, across the board, is that what you're seeing as the most, as the biggest concern by your customers? Yes, yes, I would say. And then continued resiliency and uh, the ability to be proactive uh, throughout these type of incidents. Right, and looking at these, so, so looking forward, what are they trying to future-proof against? Really future-proof against making sure that they're getting their supply um, from the, uh, the right areas and um, making sure that we have different plans where we can mode shift the different means of transportation if necessary. Um, really the opportunity to try to accelerate where we can to uh, meet delivery dates and um, setting up our processes uh, along with the customer to do that together. Wow. So where can people go and learn uh, a little bit more information about this? You know, um, check out our podcast, All Business, No Boundaries. You can find it right here. We've got several episodes on risk and innovation. Um, our tour, uh, we, we also like tours, uh, tours at our different uh, sites. So we've got our innovation center in Chicago. Uh, we've got a Detroit control tower with our automotive LLP, uh, supporting some intricate international and domestic programs. And uh, we also have our Harrisburg control tower, uh, which is our life science COE overseeing uh, overseeing our life science business, including vaccine distribution. Uh, so a lot going on in this uh, in this space. Oh, yeah, there absolutely is. Well, hey, happy National Logistics Day today, as, as we you learned. Uh, what are you going to go off to do to celebrate? Uh, you know what? Probably um, have a beverage at 5 p.m. and uh, celebrate with some of my logistics buddies and, uh, you know, that we got through today's interview. Thank you. <laughs> well, you did a great That's job. Great. Have Thanks, a good one. Nick. Tell him I gave you a little cowbell. Take it easy. <laughs> good, Appreciate good it. Good job, guys. Take care. All right. Well, Celebrate that I got through this. <laughs> yeah, you must have been a little bit worried about it. Well, speaking of, we're waiting for our next guest to show up. But as we do, let's talk a little bit more about the ice road because we had to oh, kind of rush through that. Yeah, yeah, there. we did. And it was such a fine movie. <laughs> I know. We only got really to the part. So and there's going to be a little spoilers here. And so, you know, so if you haven't seen the ice road yet, that's but it's your still fault. worth watching. I'll it, watch it again. Yeah. I mean, like, if, times. look, it's the ice road. If you don't know that some things are going to go like the trailer kind of gives away a little bit. Uh, a lot of it. I mean, a everything that could possibly happen to stop a truck from going from Winnipeg to northern Min- Ma- Manitoba has. <laughs> oh, great. Well, Manisha's actually here. So oh, I don't know. She Unless is. she's seen the ice road, maybe we'll jump back into it with her. Know, maybe but she watched If, if she hasn't know. seen, maybe she has. It's uh, Manisha Raising Honey. Did I get that right? Almost right. That's not bad for first time. So it's nice. Manisha <laughs> Raising Honey. <laughs> Got it. Well, she's the CTO and she's the co-founder of Lodgy Next. But you know what? You also went to Carnegie Mellon at the same time as uh, someone I've interviewed many times on this show in Freightways Insiders, Thomas Healy, you highly on CEO and founder. You guys were both on campus at the same time. You're both tartans together. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, you are a Yahoo change maker, right? You're a Carnegie Mellon research fellow. Give us a little bit of an elevator pitch on you. There's a, you've got an amazing background here. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's, uh, by the way, I love what the truck, you know, how the way it says it. So that's really cool. So I'm Manisha. I'm the co-founder and CTO at Loginex. Uh, prior to Loginex, I was working with IBM in their Watson division. So I got a chance to work with clients in logistics and e-commerce space uh, with, you know, GE Fleet, HSN, like home shopping network, managing with GE Fleet, we were managing like, you know, thousands and thousands of their fleet, running optimization analytics on the platform. So while working with IBM, the entrepreneur bug bit me and I moved to India to start Loginex along with Dhruval, who is the other co-founder and CEO. 
uh, well, we are really, really proud to build a truly global SaaS platform which helps companies achieve their vision of automated logistics operations and enhanced customer experience. So, uh, uh, Manisha, you, you've got an interesting past, as Dooner mentioned, and, mm-hmm. and thank you for that. What was the seed that said we need to start Loginex? Was it going back to India and seeing the difference between uh, logistics in the U.S. and India that, that sparked us? What was it? Well, it was actually the other way around. We started in the U.S. and then we moved to India. Okay. So while we were working with these companies, like I was work, I was uh, working as a consultant with IBM and Dhruval was working with Deloitte as a management consultant. Coincidentally, we had clients at the intersection of logistics and big data, both of us. So as friends, when we used to meet, we were like, you know, these guys are spending millions and millions of dollars on creating custom products or custom software, which is not solving the problem for all different kinds of, you know, companies in logistics. Let's say we are building something for GE or we are building something for home shopping network. They are the only ones using that product. And, you know, there are millions spent in that. So we were like, you know, let's do our research. Let's see if there is a platform available, an end-to-end platform, which can help companies achieve their dream of automated logistics and enhance customer experience both in one. We didn't find any. And we were like, you know, maybe this is the right time to start. The startup ecosystem in India was actually really booming during that time. I mean, 2014, 15, I remember it was the peak of e-commerce boom in India. So we decided, you know, this is the right time. Let's move, uh, let's move back. Let's take the plunge. Let's leave our six-figure salaries and uh, jump into something exciting. Well, how I mean, what is what is the biggest difference between um, attacking the U.S. market and the Indian market, especially with the logistics platform? Um, so when it comes to logistics, so uh, first of all, most of our clients is in is in North America now. So we started with India, but now 90 percent of our clients are international. So we are we are mainly selling in, you know, uh, North America, uh, APAC region and Europe region. These are the three regions that we are uh, focusing on. When it comes to logistics, you will see there is a very little penetration of technology in logistics. So overall, the processes that most of the companies have across the world are very complex and are pretty much the same because it's a very fragmented industry. In no country, you will see that the log- uh, that logistics is a fragmented industry or a consolidated industry. It's a very, very fragmented industry. And hence, the kind of complications that we saw in almost every country are pretty much the same. So which actually helped us build a global platform. Like we started with Asia Pacific, but we were easily able to you know, scale that platform to uh, North America needs because the processes were pretty much the same. So, Manisha, when you're you're looking at this stuff, you you talk about the the fragmentation of the markets, right? And and I'm not a computer science engineer. I don't know if you knew that, Dooner, but I'm not. Oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I could probably guess, right? (laughs) But you're talking about a a platform that brings all this disparate information from all these different places, right? Different countries, different modes, different companies, et cetera. As you explained, what are those challenges? Is it is it creating this platform that can read these, or is it? Uh, partnerships and collaboration with those with those companies to make this happen. Right. 
so um as you see with with the platform approach so like 3 years back we moved from a product approach to platform approach right now the biggest differentiator in a platform approach is to able to scale your product horizontally very very easily so engineer ctos always talk about scaling the product vertically but it's equally important to be able to scale the product horizontally because the kind of industries that we deal in are right from you know courier express parcel to uh, qsr industry to retail industry so there are different kinds of industries that we deal with and hence a platform approach which actually you know consolidates and standardizes all the ingested data becomes very very important for us to go across different countries and to go across different industries and hence you know standardizing templatizing of data ingestion has really helped us scale our operations and scale our technology horizontally as well as vertically Oh, wow. Well, excellent. Hey, before we go a little bit deeper onto this one, uh, since this is kind of a movie-themed episode, we're gonna, we talked about the ice we're going to be talking oh, about yeah. Maximum Overdrive <laughs> at, at, at the bookend at the end, but you were a big data consultant with Warner Brothers. What did that job entail? Yeah, that, that was a very, very interesting job. So I was, I was actually doing iTunes data analytics when I was working with Warner Brothers. so all of the itunes data right from you know uh, which region is watching what shows the most number of time what is the revenue from every region uh, what kind of genres are uh, you know uh, are popular in particular kind of age group of course if we have uh, age data or date of birth kind of data so there was very interesting analytics we were running on all kind of TV shows and movies which were sold on iTunes for Warner Brothers. Now, Manisha, we got to ask you something because you are a couple things that are that are sort of unicorns in their own right. You are a female founder. You're a female founder in freight, and you are also a CTO. Three different things that are very typically male dominated, but yeah. there you are at the top of all three. Tell us a little bit about that. How did how did you get there? And there any challenges due to gender? uh well i would not say i haven't faced any challenges it's very interesting story initially you know when we used to go to these conferences of especially you know logistics conferences you will see the entire conference like 95% of the conference had male dominated audience with around 45 years to 55 years of age because these were all cios and you know ctos of different companies who are running huge logistics operations so initially it was pretty awkward for me actually it wasn't pretty awkward for me i'll be very honest i was very very neutral when i was going to these conferences but when i saw the kind of treatment i was getting i wouldn't say people were uh people people were a little awkward you know when it comes to talking business when it comes to talking technology i saw clear difference when the conversations were happening with dhruvil who is the other co-founder and with me and i was like man what is this i mean i never expected this is the kind of challenge i will really face and in the beginning you know it was always like whenever we were meeting investors whenever we were meeting uh, any clients people always assumed he's the cto and i'm taking care of the business i don't know why that assumption i was like man i am analytically really strong i think i can do it and he's amazing at 
uh, talking in sales so that that's his forte so the way we run the company is very very gender neutral i mean even when we are hiring we really don't look at if you are talking to a female or a male candidate for us it's all about the skills and the attitude and in recent times we have changed that we have saw that changing a lot like in general in tech industry we have seen more you know women leaders we have seen more women leaders even in logistics while we are working with our clients so i think it's changing a little bit but not at a pace at which banking industry actually changed in india with respect to women leaders uh, excellent thank you so much for that that's uh, it's interesting to run into those challenges and I, I bet from your perspective it was a little bit like wait a minute i'm the brains behind this company <laughs> Why, i've been in meetings i've seen that happen i've seen, I've it. seen it happen myself with I've emily zing with emily zing she was that when she was here she was the head of tv i remember yeah. that there were several meetings with different companies and they were like completely dismissive of her they're like yeah. oh she must be here to take notes or something yeah, really yeah. Talk she to can't be it's the like, one who's in charge that it's it's happen. awkward when you're the person next to the person i can only imagine how difficult it is when you are right. the actual CTO yourself, you're the actual found, co-founder of the company. Yeah, um, you did mention something interesting, and we'll get to some of the some more stuff that uh, that your company does. But you mentioned that you want to usher in this paradigm shift, right? You want to give these opportunities to to multiple different people. How do you how do you go about doing that? Uh, sorry, can you come again? I think I missed it. Uh, the the paradigm shift. How do you create a paradigm shift in coding and technology and and broadening the archway, right? So some of these assumptions are some of these assumptions are. Are reduced and destroyed, right? So uh, again, there are you know different aspects to it, right? From recruiting to you know people always say that founders and leaders have to spend at least thirty forty percent of their time in recruitment. To be honest, it is very difficult to take out thirty forty percent of your time when you're scaling a product, you're scaling your company, you're scaling your operations into recruitment. but it is very important and this is one thing that i have learned the hard way but now the time, the amount of time that i spent on recruitment actually helps a lot in building the you know uh, in getting more people who have that attitude of customer experience attitude of innovation attitude of doing more things growing more with the company uh, and then also you know we have uh, we have of course because of pandemic things have changed a little bit but we have things like you know developers should always go on the field and see how drivers are actually using the product how dispatchers are using the product what are shippers what are carriers so the entire functional knowledge is also given to the developers on the field by them getting first hand experience of how these products are getting used because in enterprise the, the biggest challenge for developers in enterprise uh, or b2b you know product development is that they are not the users right if i'm a developer in uber or if i'm a developer yeah. in uh, airbnb i am experiencing the product myself i know what challenges i know what use case i'm solving but as an enterprise product developer i really don't know what use case i'm solving till i use the product so it's very important for companies like us to give that experience to the entire company especially to developers who are the creators right ultimately all of us are managers our our time is like really should not be considered into innovation and all of that so they are the actual creators so creators need to be very close to the users they need to really understand what they are building for what they are creating for and that has really helped us a lot 
Yeah, Manisha, you're you're dipping into your your ten important things from your article there, sure. uh, which was really really intriguing, and we wanted to get into that. And one of the ones that hit me uh, that I was intrigued the most, if we can dive into those a little bit more, yeah. Dooner, is number seven, which was business priorities change. Now it sounds innocuous and boring, but it's make peace with some level of changes in the business. How hard is it as a founder, CTO, you're driving this business, it's your baby, that you have to change directions because aha, uh-huh, maybe I'm going in the wrong way. Can you speak to that a little bit? It hurts. It hurts a lot. As an engineer, it hurts a lot to to see the changing business priorities. Um, and again, when I say changing business priorities, of course, it's not changing the vision of the company, right? It's more from, um, let's say, if you are planning a quarterly roadmap or if you are planning a, as simple as sprint planning, right? So those business priorities can change sometimes. And it's really difficult for us as engineers to 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 make peace with it. Because all we think is, oh, we have put in so so much efforts in designing, in architecting, in doing the POCs. But then ultimately what users want at this point of time is very, very important and more important than anything else. If you're building something and nobody is using it versus you are scrapping 10% of what you have done, but building something which everyone wants is always a better outcome for the developer, for the company, and for the clients. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, but these big changes too, you know, we're in a startup over here at Freightways and these big changes, they take, they take bandwidth, right? And in startups, mm-hmm. it almost seems like we never have enough bandwidth. And whenever there is some bandwidth freed up, you take on a big project that consumes all of it anyway. How do you manage some of those bandwidth issues when you're building, um, when you're building a company and also when you've got to make quick changes in direction? Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And that is something, you know, we have learned over experience. I'll be very honest. We didn't get this right on day one. Uh, initially, the entire engineering team was working as an engineering team, right? But later we learned we need to really divide the team by products. We need to divide the team by personas, as we call. So the way we define products in Logenic system is right from your uh, customer persona, which is the end customer, to shipper persona, the the company who wants to get the goods delivered then the dispatcher persona who's actually getting the goods delivered and your driver persona who's actually going and doing the delivery or driving the vehicle, right? So there are different personas and we decided, you know, for different kind of personas and different types of products, we need to really have dedicated bandwidth of, let's say a team of seven to 10 people for every module or for every functionality or every project that we are building. Business knows that for... This particular functionality, we have a developer bandwidth of, let's say, you know, 1,000 man, 1,000 uh, personas in a month. So they need to really prioritize their, uh, pr- they need to prioritize their requirements. They need to prioritize uh, their clients according to the capacity available for that particular module. So this way, what we are able to achieve is every module or every product gets equal importance. And of course, when I say equal, it's not that, you know, it's 20-20% for every module. Basically, we know that, you know, our algorithms and auto-assignment module is the most important one. So we will assign 40% of the bandwidth there. But business then knows that these many developers are available and by business, it could be clients, salespeople, product managers are also 
clients for internal developers right so they know this much of capacity is available developer capacity is available and they need to prioritize within this capacity itself Excellent, excellent stuff. Now, as we've seen uh, the, the culture change in people that, you know, I want this now, you know, immediate gratification of buying stuff. It can be delivered within an hour or two hours, right? E-commerce, the development of e-commerce. A lot of people are looking at optimization, et cetera. A lot of companies are looking to it to, to save money and, 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 and improve production or productivity within their drivers, right? But can you talk to the effects of this now and make this happen in this e-commerce and how optimization helps in another way, in a green way, in, say, carbon footprint uh, reduction? Yeah, that's very interesting. I think one of the biggest changes that has come about in last few years and especially in the last 18 months, right, because of the pandemic, is that consumers want products to come to them and then they don't go to the products anymore, right? Products have to be delivered the same day or next day. And the level of convenience for customers in cities is touching new levels of excellence. And this is the entire way we are riding or enabling. So basically, Loginex platform is used by enterprises in uh, CEP, e-commerce and retail, transportation, QSR chains, and healthcare to enable this revolution. So be it B2B fulfillment or last mile deliveries or transportation automation platform, which is a plug and play software, gives complete visibility over the entire logistics operations. And hence, all these things help, you know, provide a superior customer experience to the end user. So we as customers, we are really, really spoiled by the experience given by Ubers and Amazons of the world, right? And other companies who are not owning the technology, who are relying on partners like us, we need to provide equal or maybe, you know, much better SaaS platform, which works like plug and play for them. And it's just boom, ready to go. And what we have seen is, you know, uh, for any QSR delivery, let's say if the sub, assuming the supply and demand is matching because a lot of time because of the driver shortages issue, there is a you know discrepancy in supply and demand. But if the supply and demand is there, we have seen the the automation in QSR industry is as high as 99.98% in our case, which is like almost hands-free logistics. And this this uh, along with reducing the ETS for the customer because customers want their burger in let's say 20 minutes, they don't even want to wait for 30 minutes these days, right? And reducing the mileage, overall mileage, which helps us uh, do some good to the environment as well, along with customers. Wow. Well, Manish, this has been very enlightening. People who want to learn more about your company, where should we send them to? Well, our website, uh, our LinkedIn page, our Twitter page. We are at LogineXSolutions.com. We keep on writing a lot about the industry insights, our product insights, what new things we are releasing. So, yeah, do follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and our website. Thank you so much. Take it easy. All right, Michael Vincent. Yes, sir. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at, at our friends at Legend Transformation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at, tell them, oh, dude. Oh, man, newlegendinc.com. 
go there immediately after the show. Now there's a scene, it's spoiled in the trailer of okay. the ice road, right? Where right. the where the three trucks they run into uh, a little uh, little trouble on the ice road, right? Is there issues? Well, yeah. Now you know, I'm glad we have Andrew Miller on because he's going to come on, <laughs> and he is from Group Belmar, and he's going to tell us about uh, maybe how realistic this movie is, and he's going to show us some of his own group's heavy hauls, one of them which shared on LinkedIn recently with a turbine. Nice. So Andrew, thanks for joining us today, hey guys. Hey, young man, introduce yourself to our lovely audience here. Hey, I'm, I'm Andrew Miller. I'm the uh, Senior Business Development Representative for uh, Belmar Heavy Hall and Rigging. Uh, we're a Canadian-based company. Uh, our head office is in Montreal. We have offices in right across Canada, and we also have an in- office in Indianapolis and in Houston. Do you ever uh, service the ice roads? And if you were servicing the ice roads, do you tend to send critical goods in triplicate? Uh uh, possibly one of our sister companies services the uh, ice roads. I'm more on the heavy haul end, so I, I guess I really can't answer that to be quite <laughs> honest. But I, I, I can assure you that, uh, particularly in Quebec, when we work up north on the uh, hydroelectric sites in the winter, it's uh, equally as nasty. Well, let's take a look at this turbine you moved. You're oh, moving yeah. really big goods. We have a video here. Let's take a look at this. Now, Andrew, what do we got going on here? What are we looking at? So... Uh, the turbine wheels obviously are in the dam itself, and you know maybe a turbine wheels an incorrect way to call it, but they're basically the water wheels that are hooked to the power generation units. And so, uh, like everything, they have a shelf life, and they're they're it, this one and that's coming out is worn out. So what's gone on is in the interior of the dam, it's been disconnected from the uh, from the turbine as well as the shaft, uh, and it's been uh, placed onto our uh, Goldhofer transporters. And there's an intricate series of tunnels to the uh, turbine room. And uh, fortunately, it's big enough because they they allowed for this. And uh, we're bringing it out, and it'll be taken to a laydown yard where uh, it will be uh, ultimately scrapped. Uh, the reverse of this is there's a brand new uh, one waiting for uh, our trucks, and we'll just exchange them in the laydown yard. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, good thing they uh, foresaw this and made the tunnels a little bit bigger, right? <laughs> Whoop, whoops. Well, well, you know, I've been in, in, in heavy hauling, crane and rigging my whole working career, and I've been on so many job sites where all of a sudden it's like, what do you mean we got to change this out? Are, are you crazy? Uh, so, yeah, it was. it is very handy that this was uh, taken into account when they were planning this. Yeah, um, and- we noticed there was two trucks there. So yeah. is is that is that usual for that type of haul? Is it a, like a double pull? What do you call that? What are we what we were seeing? No, it's just a, a pull truck and a push truck. It's it's no more complicated than that. Uh, the turbine piece is extremely heavy. It's two hundred and twenty thousand pounds, and in order uh, for it to uh, you know come out of the out of the area smoothly, um, we need the two trucks to ha- handle that weight. The, the trailer itself is not driven, so it requ- requires the uh, um, the two trucks. And if we were used a much bigger prime mover, it wouldn't have fit through the tunnels in the in the dam. Yeah, right. You couldn't. Yeah, you couldn't get through there. So, I mean, when you're talking about these things, you you showed up and said, "Wait a minute, we got to move this." Have you ever shown up somewhere and and or gotten a bid where you're like, uh, "This can't be done." <laughs> I think everybody in this business has come to one of those situations, but you know, one of the, one of the things you do try to do is you, you try to like look at the problem and, you know, you get the engineers involved. And um, I've been doing this 
almost 30 years and never have we come to a situation uh, in any of the companies I work for where it's like we just threw up our hands and walked away. You just keep <laughs> hammering at it till you come up with something. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the engineers. So a company like yours, you, you have some engineers on staff. Do you, is there a group you outsource to? How does that aspect of the project planning work? Every, every, all the engineers in our company are in-house. Um, occasionally, we'll outsource uh, uh, um, portions of it. It depends. And if it's somewhere where we don't work regularly and our engineers are licensed there, we often will get a third party to review and stamp if the client requires a stamp drawing. But we have uh, we have a team of engineers at uh, at our offices. Cool. Let's uh, can we look at a couple other? Photos yeah, let's take a look at a few other pictures of Moosey sent us. What do we got going on here? Uh, Duner and I were questioning why don't you just go down that frozen river right yeah. there? Yeah, ice roads down. <laughs> well, I guess you could, but I think at the end of the day, it's probably because it's there's a highway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. that Good would come plan. in handy. Solid plan. I is, love it. Is that the same turbine that we were looking at before, or is this something else? That's the new one. Ooh. Okay. Oh, so, so you took out the old one, out with the old, in with the new, so you got to bring it both sides. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and it's quite the thing. I, I put a video up last week, which was kind of a second, uh, like a, a follow-up, if you like. So it, it, it's, a, it's a fair distance. It's over... 400 kilometers to uh, to the railhead where these come in. They're brought by rail from the manufacturer, and then we have to haul them uh, basically through the middle of nowhere to the job site. And the video I posted last week was actually of the shaft associated with this wheel. Uh, the shafts aren't scrapped. They're, they're uh, refurbished. So we had to haul back to the rail site. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Next, uh, let's look at the next one here. What, what are we looking at here? This looks like uh, almost rocket boosters, almost. Yeah, yeah what is this? <laughs> well, funnily enough, and I guess it was just because we got a bunch of good pictures, uh, these are sluiceways for the same dam that are being refurbished. Um, so these are uh, not refurbished, being replaced. So it's basically the same highway, but in a much colder time. Gotcha. Interesting. So, and then we, then we, it looks like we got you over at the ports too. So you're not just servicing uh, the highways and bridges of America. You're also at the ports. If we can take a look at that image, tell us what we're looking at here. Yeah. So that's a, uh, that's a vessel for a, um, uh, an industrial production facility, which I'm not allowed to reveal because the clients don't want us to. Um, but we, we will do the whole thing. Uh, in this case, we picked the piece up at the port and brought it to site and, uh, uh, also assisted in the installation of it, but if you have a big piece, we'll we'll get it right from where it's manufactured to where you want it to go. We uh, we will do the uh, uh, logistics for that, and we'll do all the planning and uh, all the get all the necessary permits and all the good stuff that goes along with it. So this yep. is just a good example of a piece that came in uh, by ship, and we picked it up and took it to the job site. Now you don't have like mechanics driving along with the with the driver, uh, ex convicts, or uh, who else? Are they uh, insurance actuaries. I'm trying to think of all the different characters in Ice Road. They stuck in some of these trucks. You have any insurance actuaries in there or anything like that, or is it, is it just the drivers? And they meet with the teams once they eventually get to the site. Yeah, no. Oftentimes we'll have a project manager, and uh, oftentimes one of the engineers will be with the team. But uh, the rest of those fellows you mentioned, we try to leave at home. I mean, they're all nice guys and all that, but. Um, sometimes less is more. 
I got to agree with you, Andrew. Well, Andrew, if we uh, we want to, uh, we got some big heavy hauls coming. Some of our listeners do. Where should we send them to? Um, Well, uh, our our website is at uh, groupelmar.com, and you can kind of Group Elmar has multiple companies, but if you click on uh, services, you'll find heavy haul, and you can find us there. Uh, Also, you know, uh, we're on Instagram at, at Group Elmar or Belmar Transport. And, of course, uh, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. Well, well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing those videos and talking a little bit about what went into those moves. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, anytime, reach out. Great. Well, yeah, Thanks, next Andrew. time you got a big one, let us know. We, we would love to put it up there. Like the, I, lo- I love this big freight. I think it's really interesting. It's an interesting vertical. I've never been in to try and figure that stuff out. You know, it's a new puzzle every day. Right? Now, I got to ask you something. In yeah, the ice please. road, gold, there's a scene where goldenrod, right? Yeah. And it's a real good thing that they brought these trucks in triplicate. And, you know, it's kind of foreshadowing when you see the movie. You've seen the trailer. You know at least one of those trucks goes in the water. So Tactical redundancy. There's a lot of times in that movie where there's, like, dialogue that explains, like, why this thing that doesn't make sense in the plot <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> like, when the trucks fall over, they're like, ah, oh, it's all, like Liam has, like, a throwaway line where he's yeah. like, oh, the weight's distributed now. Yeah, he looks Even right though, at the camera to the audience and says, it's, it's because the weight is But Goldenrod has his leg tied in that cable, right? Yeah, and yeah. when they shoot a picture, like his leg, it looks like a plastic bag, right? I mean, it couldn't have been twisted more. He seems <laughs> to be completely fine with this, with this pain. He will yeah. not, like, he, uh, do you think he wanted to die? Uh, it appears he, I mean, he was, just, he gave up, right? I mean, he didn't he even, gave up. I don't know. I think it was a, I don't know if he ever had any feeling in that leg because I mean, he never even noticed that this two inch cable was wrapped around his leg, squeezing it until it was too late. Right. I mean, there's an 80,000 pound rig hanging off his leg and he's just like, <laughs> Strong and he leg. looks down and goes, Oh, son of a gun. I'm tied to this rig. Yeah, I he's no like pulling idea. himself up on the rope too. Like he can crowbar like can, and tries yeah. to take it off. Doesn't happen. Hey, we said we were going to bookend this with another movie review. We've yeah. already said enough about the ice road. Although we could have done this whole show about the ice road, but we aren't because we <laughs> didn't do that. So let's take a look at our next film. This is a retrospective on Maximum Overdrive, oh, Stephen King's man. first and only directed movie. Uh, let's take a look at the trailer. <laughs> this is great. The dick is going on around here. Who was driving it? I don't know. Turn it out. It's coming after us. What is going on? I don't know. You want a war? You got one. <laughs> I just want to get the hell out of here. You're going to get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum terror. Jesus coming and he is. Maximum king. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. He had a whole bunch of them. He had a whole bunch of them in the basement. Now we got Steve Barrett. He's a copy editor here at Freight Waves. He wrote an article about this that came out on uh, Friday, and I said, Steve, this is What the Truck Material. you got to come on the show. Hey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate now, it. 
This is July 25th, 1986. It's Maximum Overdrive. It is uh, Stephen King. At the time, he was very upset about the adaptions of a lot of his films. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm going to make the best film possible. But the problem was, by his own admission, he was on a ton of substance abuse at the time, ton of drugs. The the idea seemed great on a bar napkin um, in execution. Your review didn't seem to like it too much, but you also have a little bit of an association with this movie, tenuous as it may be. Tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the stars of the show uh, was Marla Maples. She, uh, the former Mrs. Trump, um, she went to the same high school that I did. And uh, it, it, she, from, from all accounts, I should say at the outset, from everyone I've spoken to, she was a super sweet person in school. And, you know, she was the homecoming queen and all that, but she was the nice person you know, type of, you know, homecoming queen and and was like an excellent basketball player and everything. Um, according to my, my brother and other people who knew her better than I did, but yeah, she, she started her movie career and this was one of the early forays into that. And, uh, she is on the bridge scene. In fact, you briefly saw her in the trailer there, um, who gets killed by a watermelon falling from a, um, produce truck Mm. on this bridge that's raising millimeter by millimeter, and everybody has plenty of warning that it's raising and no one actually gets out of the car to run down the bridge. It's not the golden gate bridge. It's a small bridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they all, all die. But as I said, in the the review, Marla was, was probably grateful in retrospect that she got killed off early because it was just a, a dreadful film. There, there's oh, just no good I, excuse I, for I You know what? I can't believe she didn't win an Oscar for woman Hold number two. Hold on a second. <laughs> you know that there's, so the movie opens up with a Stephen King cameo, right? And yeah. it shows a bank and, and the bank, the machines have already taken over the sign. They don't even show you the comet. It's, it's a title card that opens up the movie. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this comet mm. went by the earth and now it's, it's messed everything up. And then the bank, you can tell everything's screwed up because the bank says F you on the digital display. And then Stephen King goes out <laughs> take up some money and it goes you are an a-hole which um stephen king wouldn't call you that though for giving it this review because he himself does not like this despite the fact that it has emilio estevez right it has an acdc soundtrack who made who which is one of those characters one of the waitress the one who is attacked by the electric knife she screams that at the at the trucks as they drive but we made you yeah yeah, we made you and the trucks are like you know what you did we need gas by the way so they strike a deal (laughs) with the humans but you know else is in this lisa simpson did you know that one Lisa Simpson is the uh, one yeah, of the honeymooners. The, the, the voice, yeah, the the girl with the voice, right, right, yeah, Yard, yeah. Yardley, um, something, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they did a, they yeah. did a, uh, the the Simpsons did a, a homage to this with Maximum Homer Drive. Max, yes, there was a oh. Maximum Homer Drive. What happens? No, in the Simpsons that's done? good. It, well, what happens is like the that. truck drivers, they call it 1038 over their CDB radio because they see Homer is like, he realizes the car can drive itself, you yeah. know, eat your heart out, Elon Musk. So he's on the hood of the truck and then Bart comes outside. But then the truck drivers get wind of it and he's, he's giving away their scam. And that's that no truck drivers actually drive their truck. So yeah. all the truck, a big convoy of truck drivers come and, uh, and, you know, they give Homer the business. Uh, yeah, that would be worth watching. I bet. So, what about the movie? Are you not a fan of B movies? You don't you don't appreciate this type of cinema? No, I mean, honestly, there there's like great theater, you know, Meryl Streep, whoever, and that's fine. And there's just fun theater, Godzilla, King Kong, and that's great. I'm I'm not anti fun, but this didn't rise to that level. I mean, to, to me, it it was just. I mean, there's some philosophizing that goes on through it, and it's it's just not 
not credible on any level. And, you know, he ends up with a bazooka to, to attack the goblin truck that's coming after them all. And, you know, where does that come from? And it, it's just uh, far-fetched would be a step up from this. And, well, hold on. There's like a, I, so probably, this is North Carolina. You don't think that there's anybody who owns a truck stop in North Carolina that doesn't have an armory in North Carolina that doesn't have an armory yeah, in the basement? That's a solid point. You man. don't think he does? Well, that's a solid yeah, argument. You, you make a point. Um I could I could see it in Mississippi a little more, but but yeah, I guess North Carolina maybe. And he's got an RV Navy surplus store in the I bottom like, of that. What about the guy? What about the guy who yells "Yo, Mama" at the video game machine and the <laughs> yeah. cigarettes that are shooting out, and he throws that in himself? Then he gets electrocuted. Uh, what? So my thing, and I, maybe it's too soon. I know this came out in 1986, but spoiler alert. So they go through all this stuff. They're surrounded by the trucks all movie, right? And they make it seem like they can't get out. There's this big scene where that kid wants to sneak through the pipe. Yeah. But then it turns out they can just walk over to a pontoon and just sail away on the pontoon. And they're, <laughs> just they're totally fine. And the movie, it doesn't even, the movie just ends with the title card that says, a UFO was destroyed by a Soviet weather satellite conveniently equipped with a class four nuclear missiles and a laser cannon. Six days later, the earth survivors are still survivors that's the end of the movie steve (laughs) yeah that's the explanation it's the same thing with the bridge no i mean okay get on the boat a little earlier get off the bridge when you when it's going up inch by inch enough to realize it's happening and you've got plenty of time this is not a big bridge and and nobody does the obvious thing that i think most people do they try to back up uh, with cars directly behind them that's that's what they attempt to do and that doesn't pan out Uh and so Marla and company end up under a pile of watermelons. Well, Steve, did you happen to, uh, did you have, you didn't know any of those watermelons. You didn't go to school with those ones, did you? Well, now that's a possibility. No, probably not. Did you watch <laughs> the ice road this weekend on Netflix? No, you have, you have sung its praises. And so I, I need to check that out. I, I like Liam Neeson a lot. So it, hmm. I don't know if, if that's a far-fetched plot or not. I haven't because I haven't oh, no, read no, that it's much totally, about it, but, totally. but he's great. Totally believable. Well, this totally could be tough, though. So he does like I like Maximum Overdrive. I like the Ice Road, but I feel like they fall maybe into similar Saturday afternoon cable style yeah. movies that you you just kind of put on, yes. right? They're comfort yes. food movies. Yeah. So he might not like it if he doesn't like Maximum Overdrive. He might not like the Ice Road. He might not appreciate the nuances. Well, I mean, well, the fact that, that it's only okay. happening because we're in a comet's tale is a little bit far-fetched. Oh, evil CEO, yeah, evil there, corporation, there or comet mm. tale, one or the other. They're both resolved just about as quickly with the, with the title. They are. Part. I think both would have helped if Bruce Springsteen were in them. Yeah. Well, yeah, a couple cars. Couldn't, couldn't have heard. <laughs> hey, do you know what kind of truck that beautiful, the, the Green Goblin, which really was a Green Goblin. Copyright lawyers be damned. They really did rip off the Green Goblin and put him on the front of that truck. Nobody oh, cared in 1986, okay. apparently. But do you know what truck that was? What model? Ooh, I, I had to look it up, I admit, because I did not. But I think it said it was a Western 4800 or 4800 Western. I'm, I'm so Ooh, yeah. ignorant. I mean, That's it's, a, it's, I'm looking at the answer. It's it a Western Star 4800. Hey, check out okay. Steve Barrett's work on FreightWaves.com. And if you're not seeing spelling errors there, it's his uh, because of him. And if you are, well, blame him, too. Thank you so much for doing that. Check out the Ice Road. It's on Netflix. Happy National Logistics Day, which is apparently today. Um, check out Maximum Overdrive, although not really on any streaming. I had to rent it over the weekend. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe unless you got some other sources. Hey, I'm Duner. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duner, D-O-O-N-E-R. I'm Vincent the Dude. Tell him that to be. Peace and love, everyone. Peace and love.